Well, here's the opening question. Do you remember where you were one year ago yesterday? Do you remember where you were one year ago yesterday? Some of you are scratching your heads and you're thinking, you're thinking, where were you a year ago yesterday? Chris uh, doesn't apply to you. Griffins doesn't apply to you. Amber, nope. Um, let's see. Uh, Arrington's, none of you. Nope. Um, let's see. Anybody remember where they were a year ago yesterday? I do. I was here, and I was standing right down there, and I was talking to those of you that were here. And some of you guys are going, wait, what? Uh, well, yes, a year ago, it was a year ago, it was a year ago that I came here, and um, I, uh, we, you guys were kind enough to do a Saturday thing for me, and I came and I preached here, and then, uh, so it was next week, a year ago next week, that uh, y'all voted and said that uh, I could come here. And um, I was um, I was a Saturday deal because and then afterwards I was driving back three hours back to Central Iowa and and uh, heading back to uh, Earlham and things like that. And I remember uh, thinking uh, that there's a great opportunity. There's a great opportunity for a, this. There's a great opportunity for this small church here uh, to reach this community. There's a great opportunity for this small church to reach this community. And so uh, a week later, when you guys voted and you guys called me up and said, "Well," eh, uh, you squeaked in, and um, and so I said, well, "I'll take it, I'll take it," you know. And um, uh, the truth is, just for those of you that don't know, it was actually a hundred percent, and so that was it was a good deal, and so I was excited. It's like okay, you know, and uh, and so now you know, uh, I don't care if you regret it. I mean, you know, it's too late now. I'm here, and uh, so I don't even want to hear about that. But the reality is, I re- I just remember, uh, and you know, I had been around here, and uh, Don and uh, Donna had given me a tour of the building, and I just. Just remember thinking, wow, the, that small church has got just this great opportunity in this in this community, and so that's where I was a year ago uh, yesterday. And some of you, maybe you remember that, and uh, some of you, well, yeah, there was a yesterday as well. So, um, but uh, which which kind of begs this next question, uh, kind of well, not really, but uh, so here's the next question. Uh, do you all know who uh, Robert Brown is? Robert Brown. Robert Brown, you guys remember Robert Brown? He lived, uh, they don't know when he was born. Uh, and so uh, somewhere in the 1550s he was born, but he didn't die until uh, 1666, right? Or 1633, 1633 is when he, when he passed away. And uh, Robert Brown, uh, none of y'all ringing a bell there? When guys, were you sleeping that day in history class? Uh, Robert Brown, Robert Brown was, uh, he was a preacher, he was a preacher at a small church in the Netherlands. And um, uh, you, you don't, you know, okay, well, I'll fill you in. And so he, uh, he was a, a preacher at a small church. He was arrested. He was arrested 32 times uh, because he was preaching in Europe. And uh, at the time, there was only one church. Uh, you know, it was the Church of England. And uh, everybody had to adhere to the Church of England, you know, under the rule of the king and all of those things. But, uh, but, uh, but Robert Brown, he was a preacher at a small church in the Netherlands. And he was preaching, he had the audacity to just preach the Bible. 
and uh, and there were people that started listening to him and following him, and he was communicating to them, don't pay as much attention to the Church of England and what they say, but start to pay more attention to the Bible and what the Bible says. And uh, there were people that were following him that literally were hung. Uh, they they were they were martyrs for the gospel because they weren't paying attention what what the Church of England said anymore, but they were following what the Bible said. And this group of people was known as, you guys remember, right? The Brownists. No, not they're the Brownists. You guys, oh, holy cow. You guys, I'm so glad I'm here this morning. I just feel like I'm enlightening you so much. And, and, uh, and so uh, the Brownists, they were the Brownists. They were the Brownists. And so they were the followers of John Brown. They were known as the Brownists. But, but I get it. I get it. You guys know them by their other name. I get it. Because uh, nobody really remembers them as the Brownists. But you all remember them. The, they were the fo- There was a small church in the Netherlands. And Robert Brown was preaching there, and he was telling man that the Bible is so good and, and so strong, and, and you really don't remember them as the Brownists, but you remember them by their other name, I'm sure. Uh, they, were, they were also known as the Pilgrims. They were the, we know them today as the Pilgrims. They were, they were the Pilgrims. And uh, remember, okay, maybe you'll get this one right. I got a picture of it there. What was the name of that boat? The Mayflower, yeah, all right, there we go. The moving company, right? And so they called the moving company, said, you got any boats? No, no, no. Okay, so they, the, the, the Mayflower, these, did you know that there were 102 people that climbed on uh, the Mayflower and they made their way over and they landed at Plymouth Rock and, um, and they were there? The, these were the brownists. They were the brownest. These people from this small church in the Netherlands uh, had the opportunity to leave the Church of England and all that it had, and they wanted to go for liberty, and they wanted to go for religious freedom, and they became the pilgrims, and there was 102 of them. There were 30 of them that were just staff, the the crew to to operate uh, the ship, and when they arrived, you remember from, maybe you remember some of these things from from history class, that uh, only about half of them survived that first winter because of scourge. And because of the, uh, the, the freezing cold uh, weather, and they came and they landed at Plymouth Rock. And they were the ones, these brownists, these pilgrims, uh, were the ones from a small church over in the Netherlands that, that, that came over. And they started in Plymouth Rock. Uh, they were the ones that uh, they wrote the number one best-selling book. Uh, of all, of all, back there, every single elementary school, every elementary school, and the entire, uh, they were the ones, the Brownists came, uh, they were, they were, they were the ones that, that formed, uh, uh, uh Connecticut, they were the, one of the first of the New England colonies, right? And, uh, they were the ones that wrote the textbook that every single elementary school in the New World used. It was called the New England Primer. The New England Primer. The the Brownists, they were the ones that wrote this thing. And so uh, this is every elementary school in in the country. Uh, They had to learn, they'd learn the letter A. They'd learn the letter A. And it would say uh, from from Adam's, what? Uh, From, I can't see it. Oh, uh, from Adam's fall, from Adam's fall, we sinned all. Okay, A, Adam. And then B, book. Uh, and, and so it said, um, it said, uh, a life to mend, this book attend. And you can see it's a picture of the Bible. 
And so uh, the Brownists, the small church over in the Netherlands, uh, they came over here and they, they, on, the, on the Mayflower and they survived. They had the first Thanksgiving. They gave thanks to God and they wrote the New England Primer and it became the textbook and they were, were a part of the, the founding of our country. And so it, here, here's the point. A small church can start a movement. A small church can start a new order. Give birth to a godly nation. That's the power of a small church. Amen? Um, Some might say, how does a small church do that? How does a small church do that? Well, do you remember... This phrase, maybe, maybe you've heard this one, maybe, maybe you read about it in textbooks, maybe you heard it in a movie or something like that. Here's the phrase. Houston, we have a problem. You've heard the phrase before? Houston, we have a problem. You've heard that phrase? And do you remember where that phrase comes from, right? Apollo 13, Apollo 13. The phrase comes from Apollo 13. Uh, Apollo 13 was to be the uh, third uh, uh, launch, Apollo launch, that was going to actually go and land on the moon. But two days into their launch, when they were uh, 100,000 miles away from planet Earth, uh, you remember the oxygen tank uh, blew up? And uh, here's a picture. This next picture here is, uh, this is when uh, the capsule that they were in, uh, the, 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 the landing module there that they were in when that broke away from the thing that would propel them out and, the, and they had the slingshot for using the gravitational pull of the moon uh, to bring them uh, back to the earth and, and that's the picture of it. The whole side of it is gone and there was this explosion and so here's this tiny you guys ever seen one of these space capsules at any museum? You ever been up kind of close to one of those things? You know, a lot of room in there. You know, put your feet up, big screen TV. No! Tiny! Tiny thing, right? And so you're kind of shoulder to shoulder in this dinky little little thing. There's these other people in there. And so here's this tiny, tiny little thing way, way up there, a hundred thousand miles from, from everybody else. And Houston, we have a problem. When that thing, when the, uh, when the explosion uh, took, uh, took place, they suffered uh, power loss and the loss of cabin heat. It was getting very cold in there. Uh, they had a shortage of water and the carbon dioxide removal system had failed. And so uh, uh, when they were up there, when they were up there, you know, they, they just kind of called down, Houston, we have a problem. Why don't you go ahead and send up all of the parts, you know, and fix this thing, right? No, they couldn't do that. They were up there all by themselves and they had, they had this problem. And so they had to fix the problem using only what they had while they were there. You know what they had while they were there? They had this stuff. Look at this picture. And they had duct tape. Uh, they had a they had a they had a, a bag. Uh, they had this hose. You know, good thing they had that with them, right? <laughs> who who thought that went up? Well, yeah, put this in there, right? And they they had this hose with them, and they were able to the, the literally the air that they were breathing in there. They were going to kill themselves because they were making more and more and more carbon dioxide and uh, carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide or monoxide. I don't know. That would be a that would be a Bob Gibson Bob Gibson question. Di- carbon dioxide, and they didn't have a way to remove that, and so they had to filter that air and they were able to make a filtering system not uh, they had a problem they had a big big problem and they would have loved they would have loved to have been able to call nasa here's a picture of nasa they would have been hey nasa hey nasa nasa had all those resources 
All the spare parts laying around, probably a whole shelf full of carbon dioxide filters, everything that, but, but they weren't able to do that. They weren't able to do that. They had a big problem. And the only resources that they were able to use was what they had and nothing else. Using only what they had, they solved the problem. They returned safely to earth on April 17th, six days after they took off. Using only what they had, they were able to solve the problem. And in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul communicates. And one thing that the Apostle Paul makes very, very clear, hey, earth, you have a problem. Hey, earth, everybody on earth, you have a problem. Paul said it this way, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hey, earth, you have a problem. In Romans, later on, chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is a solution to the problem. However, in verse 14, he says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? Uh Uh-oh. And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? Port Byron community, we have a problem. They need to hear. Have they heard? There is a problem. Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 28, starting verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Teach them to to be my disciples. Go out and, and tell them that there is a solution to the problem. We all have this big problem. It would be nice to have all of the resources of a big church. Be nice to have the budget of a really big church. Be nice to have all of the staff of a big church and all of the uh, the, the people in the, the big band of the big church and and, and the, the facilities of the the big church and the notoriety of the the big church. It would be it'd be nice to have all of those things, but. Here we are, and the problem exists. We have the problem, but we only have what we have, and the problem is not going away. So we must get to work. That's a reality for our church. We must get to work. We have to. Who's this guy? You're familiar with General Dwight Eisenhower? General Dwight Eisenhower. 
1915, he graduated from West Point. During World War I, he commanded a unit that trained tank crews. In World War II, he was promoted to Brigadier General. Eisenhower oversaw the invasion of North Africa and Sicily and France and Germany. He became President of the United States and He was a war machine. He was a a fighter. He was an awesome general in World War II. And some of you might even kind of remember back, and maybe you had parents or grandparents that were a part of that, and they talked very highly about Eisenhower because he was just, he was a leader. He was a man's man. He 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 was a powerful, powerful guy in the victory of World War II when America and the Allies defeated the enemy. In 1964, General Dwight Eisenhower was interviewed, and during the interview, he was asked, you know, well, uh, how, did, how did it go? What was your role in the, in the uh, you know, the, the great victory that America had? And, you know, and uh, what, what did you contribute to that? And he just kind of shook his head, and, and he said, well, you, you really, you know, it's really not my story. He says, what you really need to understand is uh, there's only one guy that won World War II for us. I mean, there, was, there were, you know, uh, there was thousands and thousands and tens and, uh, and hundreds of thousands of, uh, of fighters that were out there and and all of these allied nations came together and all of these pieces were there but really there was only one guy that won won the war for us and he says you, you know who that guy is right and uh, and you know the interviewer is kind of like well who who is the guy you know and he said how can you not know it, it's Andrew Higgins Andrew Higgins is the guy that won World War II for us and he's like what do you mean Andrew Higgins won World War II so yeah yeah he says Andrew Higgins is the guy that won World War II. and we all knew that I mean, we remember that from history class right and Andrew Higgins uh, Andrew Higgins well, I don't know if you guys knew this Andrew Higgins went to the Pentagon several times and he said uh, he said to all of the all of the staff in the, in, in the Pentagon he said I need you to know he went before Congress I need you to know that I have what it is going to take in order for us to win this world war. I have it, and you guys need it. And they escorted him to the door, you know, kind of patting him on the back, saying, well, we appreciate you coming here, and we'll take into consideration uh, what you have there, but uh, we don't think that that's actually going to be viable, and, you know, that's a nice try, but thank you for coming, you know. And then he went back literally again. He went back to the Pentagon. He met with all of the officials that he could get to listen to him, and he said, I have what it's going to take to, to win this war. And again, they escorted him to the door, and they said, thank you for coming, but, you know, probably would wait until eventually they, they realized, get Higgins in here. Where's Higgins? We are not going to win the war unless we get this guy in here because he has what we need to, uh, to win the war. He was the guy that created... The Higgins boat. The Higgins boat. The Higgins boat. Uh, the United States Navy had uh, the most powerful warships that have ever been created on planet Earth. Uh, they, uh, the battleships that they could put out there could sit miles and miles and miles from the shore, and they could lob massive, uh, sinking Volkswagens back at Germany, right? They, they huge amounts of lead. They could, they could bomb the shores with huge leads from their giant guns from far, far away, but they needed a certain amount of deep water, and you know what they could not do? And though, even though they were big and powerful, couldn't get the troops onto the beach. They needed the Higgins boat. 
Big, giant battleships to, to move one, to turn one, takes so much space. But, but, a, but a little tiny Higgins boat, it could zip and dodge and move and, and go right up onto the beach and lower the gate and put the gate down. It could deliver the troops right to the front line. A small church in a small town can go places a big church might not go. It can be more mobile, can turn on a dime. It can put troops on the front lines almost immediately. Almost immediately. We did. Pandemic came. They said, no school on Wednesdays. Huh. There's an opportunity. Let's start Kids Club. Boom. Just like that. Not a lot of big committee meetings. Not a lot of budget meetings. Not a lot of, well, we need to make sure we get all of our stakeholders on board. We, we just turned and started. And away we went. So let's commit our lives to Christ. That's what we need to do. Small church. We need to commit our lives to Christ. That's what we need to do. If you've never been baptized into Christ, your first step would to be, I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I want to be in the Lord's army. I want to be a part of who He is and what He is about. And He is God and I am not. And I surrender my life to Him. And I desire to be baptized into Christ to make Him my Lord and my Savior. That would be your first step. We talked a little bit about that last week. We talked about how completely logical and rational it is to say that there is truly a living God and that he loves us and he sent his son and that there is overwhelming evidence and a small step of faith to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we do well, every one of us, to do that. Maybe you've already done that in your life, but then there is a part of making this church your church home. And saying, I desire to have this as my church home. I want you to know that I can be counted on. I want to put on the uniform. I want to wear the badge. I want everyone to know this is where I belong. And this is the Higgins boat I'm climbing into. And I want to do battle with my brothers and sisters that are here. And you place your membership in the church. That's how Jesus would have us commit our lives to Christ. But we need to do this. We need to pray for our community. We need to pray for our community. Um, Several months ago, I put a bunch of stats up here on the screen and showed you some graphs. And uh, the, the majority of the people that are around us, they don't go to church anywhere. But we have a church here. And we've got some empty seats and a lot of space. And we need to pray for our community. We've stormed the beach at Riverdale Elementary School. It's 
kind of neat. We've had about 25 different families come into our church here as a result of Kids Club. And, and uh, uh, they're not here with us this morning, but that is always the goal that they would uh, know this place is a place where uh, we all connect to be with Jesus. But I liken it to uh, we're just kind of trying to set some stepping stones out there. And when they come through for our Saturday activities and we're having a luau here and, uh, in March and uh, hoping to kind of have some fun there and we just kind of keep building some stepping stones that reach out to them and let them know that we're interested in them and we want a relationship with them and more importantly we want them to know our savior and our friend jesus and we need to pray for our community and we need to do this we need to invite people to come to easter service we need to invite people we need to invite people to come to easter service It's just a natural thing in our community, in America, people go to church on Easter. They just do. Some grandmas kind of have it, the rule, before you come to my house for dinner, we're going to church. People will go. And people are more likely to respond to an invitation to come to an Easter service than maybe during any other time of the year. And so write a name down. Think of someone you might invite. Because here's what I know. The Lord is not done. It's not over. We're in the war. We're engaged in the battle. And he's calling us to use everything that we have. Everything that we have. A small church can start a nation. A small church using the resources that it has can overcome many obstacles. A small church using what it has can storm the beach of a community and plant a flag and claim victory for Jesus Christ. And he's calling us to rise up and to reach out and to engage the battle. Let's pray together. Father, you know this community. You know the people that we interact with. Sometimes I can't help but wonder if uh, while we're there interacting with them, if you're not just waiting for us to make a move on your behalf. Help us to be bold. Help us to know you are within us and you desire for us to spread the love that you have for us with everyone we encounter. Father, we ask that you'll help us to do that this week, and we ask it in Jesus' name, and amen.